0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We've been in this series, This this is the fourth, the fourth? Yes, the fourth week of our series in Ephesians, coming at it from the angle of identity. Who am I? Who am I? I reckon the next question we would ask pretty soon after almost immediately after that question of who am I and as we seek to answer that remember in the first week we had these signs I am what I do I am what I have I am what I hear I am what I choose I reckon the next question the next set of answers that we want we want to answer is are where do I belong Who am I then very quickly Where do I belong? And this is not a geography question, this is a relational one. Who are my people? Where can I find value and love and acceptance from others? Who is my family? And it might be your your biological family, but it might not be. Depending on how you've answered those first set of questions that determine who you are, the very next question we'll ask is right now if I'm this, where are the others like me? Who are my people? Where can I find family? I think that as we've moved through these weeks and we ask these questions, ultimately because there's something within us that burns for this, these questions of identity, they want to lead and they draw us ultimately into community with others, however we answer those questions. And because this modern identity, as we, as we heard over the weeks, and particularly in that first week, the, the modern identity that the world screams at us, hey, you get to choose who you want to be. You get to choose from within yourself. Don't go looking externally before you've looked internally. Go deep within yourself, look in your own heart, determine who you want to be, and then come and shout at the world, this is who I am. This is me, as the song went from a few years ago. And then find your people. Join a community that affirms your truth. So we come back to that first question then, who, who, who am I? And this has been the question of the series as we've looked at Ephesians. And in the first week, it was this idea that even though the world would tell us, choose for yourself, God says to us, a very personal God, I choose you. I choose you. Let me as an external God say to you, I choose you as my son. I choose you as my daughter. Then the next week was this, idea that we are saved and remember that passage we were dead and that's offensive in so in so many circles and yet Paul says we were dead in our transgressions and sins but God but God in his great mercy has made us alive with Christ and I loved as I looked at that passage something I hadn't really noticed before because I'd always thought this this whole idea of being saved we just joined the citizenship of heaven and we became a like a pleb in the kingdom of heaven which is better than anywhere else right but to be a pleb in heaven is better than anywhere else to be a king anywhere else. But that's all we were. But no, that passage told us that no, we have a throne in heaven. We've been elevated that much that we are seated with Christ. That's ridiculous. But that's the level of which we've been saved. And last week, uh, as DP was preaching here, I am loved. And as I was um, preaching at Ormo and then at City, I was like, oh, I'd love to have preached this to my campus. But anyway, let's not dwell on that. But this week, this week, I am loved. Family. Are there any, any grammar Nazis in the room? I am family. Are you jolted by that sentence? doesn't make any sense. How can I be a plural? Well, let's just start off right off the bat by correcting the grammar. Let's not say I am family. Let's say we are family. And in fact, the reason, the reason that's so important is because we can go back over the first three weeks of this series, and we can do it as we move through to the last two weeks of this series, and correct the grammar on those ones as well. Because it's really important to say, particularly in this day and age when we are so focused on individual. We want to be our own, we want to look after our own needs, we want to look after ourselves. So everything is I, 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 iPhone. Everything is I. And this series has been cast in that, that light. I am chosen. I, me, me, myself. I'm chosen. I'm saved. I'm loved. Well, let's reshape this a bit as we consider today we are family. Let's go back and say we are chosen we are saved we are loved as a people as one body we are we are we are your salvation your chosenness the love god has for you was not just for you it was for us and it was to move you from a place of darkness and death as we heard in that second week to a place of love and family we are family hard to recap last week when DP was here and and to know exactly what he said. I haven't had time to go and listen uh, to the the podcast of his preach here last week. But we want to say not I am loved but we are loved. Yes I am loved but we are loved. Let's, Let's acknowledge and celebrate the community that we are, the family that we are, the oneness that we share and that will cement for us as we look at the passage for today. It's really crucial that where Paul goes from where Paul goes to in the passage we're about to read together, where it's important to understand where he's come from and to remember where he's come from. Because he's been writing, there were no chapters when he wrote it, but in the first three chapters, like the first half of Ephesians, is this is who you are, church. Here's what's true about you. Here is your identity. This is what God has done for you. And it's unbelievable. It's, un, it's, it's crazy. It's immeasurable. Like last week, he said, he's, he's an, he said, praise an oxymoron for the church he says may you know God's love that surpasses knowledge how can you know something that you can never know but what a great measure of God's love you can never get to the end of God's love and go right experience that what's next the love of God is immeasurable never ends you can never get to the end of it you can never know fully because you can never know it fully Because all that is true, Paul says, because of all that, now Paul says, in verse 1 of chapter 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, then, because of this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is really important. Because we get this wrong so often with the way that we live and we betray ourselves and we, we show that we don't fully grasp the gospel and we are, because, of our, because of our rebellion and because of our rejection of God, we think we have to make ourselves lovable before God will love us. What Paul is doing something really important here in Ephesians and if you've only come to this series starting today, you need to go back and read the first three chapters of Ephesians because what Paul is saying here is not live like this and hopefully God will accept you. What, what Paul is saying is, you are loved, so live like this. Remember in that first week, every other religion says, there's God over there, here's me. I, I, I want to try and take religious steps towards this God. And hopefully, on, on some, in some moment of my life, probably my death, hopefully, hopefully, please, I've done enough to be accepted. No, that's not how the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus works. We're over here lost. In fact, we're looking in the other direction. He comes after us. He comes to us. He makes the steps towards us and he embraces us and he puts his arms around us and he says, you are love now. I want you to know life as it was meant to be. I want you to know abundant life. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying because that's true, because God has pursued you and loved you now, live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life worthy of the love of God, because you are loved, not to earn the love. Well, then, like how? What what does it look like to live like this? And the first thing Paul does is talk about family. He talks about family. Now, I'm very aware, like on Father's Day and Mother's Day, as we talk about mums and dads, that as much as we want to convey that as a beautiful thing and a positive thing, that for many of us, it's not. When we think of our mums and dads, it's not a positive feeling that we feel, whether that's because of loss or because of pain or because of abuse. And I'm really aware that as I say family and the family of God, come on, church, for the family of God, that that family word can be really jarring for many of us. Let me tell you, for me, my mum and dad haven't spoken to each other for the last 18 years. And I know it was 18 years because the last time I saw them have a word to each other was very short. It was at my younger sister's wedding. That's when they last spoke to each other. So over the last 30 years, they've only had a handful of very, very superficial, very shallow conversations. This is my mum and dad. My mum and my dad haven't spoken to each other for pretty much 30 years. When I was 12, I moved 2,000 kilometres away from my dad. So my parents separated and divorced when I was seven. I saw dad every other weekend for five years and then hardly at all since being 12 years old. Completely different states. He's in Victoria, we moved to Queensland. I could tell you a whole lot more and we'd be here for a long time telling you about my family experience. So when I I hear the word family, normal for me is brokenness. It's parents who don't spend any time in the same room together. And I'm sure there's stories like that all over this room. So when we say family, it actually raises some pretty hurtful feelings and thoughts. Now that's not true for everyone. For some of you, family has been really positive. Praise God. There's no perfect family. You know that. I know that. But for for many of you, it's a positive thing. And there's not not a whole lot of work to go, yeah, family of God, because my family experience has been really good. But we need to take a moment to acknowledge that for a lot of us, the baggage that is attached to the word family, we need to acknowledge that because we need to reshape and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to re-understand what family means as the family of God. So this is what Paul does. He starts to talk about the family of God. There's a, big, there's a big truth, another, another really important point to make. Like when Paul goes from, you are loved, so live like this, there's a really important thing he does right here. Like as he's talked about our personal salvation. And in this world of private and personal, Paul goes from that place of describing that to straight away going to nowhere else but the church, so the, the immediate implication, the immediate thought that Paul has after talking about the fact that you were dead and now you're alive, you were chosen, every spiritual blessing is yours, the very next thought in his head is, so therefore, church. Not, not the event. Not this building. You, you, would, you would please me and if you stopped referring to this building as the church, by the way, just, just as a little pet peeve. Like, when you come in here, don't say, I'm going to the church. You are the church. You never stop being the church. And that's the next thing that happens, next thing immediately. When you put your trust in Jesus, you are welcomed into the church, the family of God. That's the immediate implication that Paul has here. Because he goes on to say, and I want to pick it up at verse 4, I want to start in the middle. All of this considered, everything that's written in the first three chapters, he goes to say, there is one Body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What a beautiful description of the family of God. I haven't experienced the oneness of family like this, but this is reshaping me to go, here is the family of God. The family of God is unified. One, the word one is used seven times here in the Greek. Seven times, Paul says, one, one, unified, like uni, together. Three times, this one is used directly to each person of the Trinity. One Spirit, one Lord, Jesus, one God and Father of all. And the other four times are related to the implications then that relate to each of the people of the Trinity. So let's go through that. First of all, he says, one Spirit which means we are one body. The spirit that fills us, that Jesus gives us when we put our trust in him, he sends the spirit into our hearts. What that does more than just fill us is it unites us, it connects us to each other and shapes us into the body of Christ, which is the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who unites us, who indwells us and animates us, gives us the new life in Christ. And that's a communal thing. It's an individual thing, but it's a communal thing. We are one body. We receive the Spirit and it confirms our faith. We join the body. You know, we can say on one hand, I, my body, is a temple for the Holy Spirit. No longer do we live under the old covenant where God's Spirit dwelt in the physical temple made out of bricks and mortar. No, the new covenant is the Spirit dwells within us. We are the temple. I am, sorry, I am the temple. But even truer than that is we are the temple. We are the temple. And the way Peter describes it is it's like we're a new temple being built brick by brick person by person, into this new temple of the Holy Spirit. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit makes us one body. Paul says, one Lord, Jesus, one hope, one faith, one baptism. What's really interesting, and you, you might miss this if you don't, like I did until I read a commentary and someone pointed it out to me, Paul actually switches here in, in the title he gives Jesus. Up until this point, he's been talking about Jesus as Christ, But here he switches to Jesus as Lord. And when he's talking about Jesus as Christ, he's talking about our salvation and the grace and the work of the cross and all that sort of stuff. But here he switches to Lord to convey obedience and service on behalf of the church. So this one hope that we have, the one faith that we have, the one baptism that we have, all points to us as seeing Jesus as our Lord and saying, you are the one who I want to shape my life around. You are the center. You are the one who I want to be obedient to. You are the one who, when you call, I will answer. Where you lead, I will follow. You are not just my Christ, and then I can live however I want. You are my Lord as well. You are the one who has abundant life to offer, and I want to experience that life through obedience to you and service to you and your people. Jesus is the one who sends the Spirit. Jesus is the one who made a way for us to have relationship with our Father. And that's the other one that Paul says. In fact, there's two here. It's not in the NIV that I read, but one Father who is over one family. One Father who is the Father of one family. Here's a reality that I think we forget. The unity of the body of Christ transcends, goes beyond our local experience. This is really important. Let me illustrate my family isn't in the front row today it's because this non-COVID it's not COVID <laughs> it's funny how when we got a cold the first thing we want to say it's not COVID anyway they haven't got COVID but the, a flu's hit our family and, and I'm, I'm probably the last one standing so I just uh, just made sure that I get it in the next couple of days but because they're not here that doesn't mean we're not unified that doesn't mean that we're one family this is so obvious right if, if I got my family and I spread them throughout this, this, this auditorium, some of you who don't know me wouldn't know. I remember, I remember at, uh, at one of our churches, uh, Birkdale, when we were going there with Brooke's parents. After about three years of Brooke and I being there and being married and all that sort of thing, someone introduced Brooke to her father and said, H- have you met Ian? Yeah, I have a few times, yeah. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? They are unified as father and daughter that people didn't recognize it didn't mean they weren't unified just because it wasn't recognized because they hadn't seen them in the same place, they hadn't seen them as family. There, there was still unity, and that unity went beyond what people's experience was. Here's a reality you are united with every other believer in this city who has put their trust in Jesus. I don't care where they are right now, I don't care if they're at the most fruity Pentecostal, happy clappy church down the road, or the most conservative. Uh, mild-mannered, liturgical church. Anything that's not a non-Pentecostal to a non-Pentecostal is liturgical, by the way. If their faith is in Christ, they are part of the same body that you're a part of. They are your brother. They are your sister. Here, let me illustrate it even more powerfully. There is an undeniable unity between my mum and my dad. Even though... They would not like to spend any time in the same room together at all. I would not like them to be in the room for even two minutes with each other. And yet, do you understand there's a unity between them that can't be changed because they are my mom and my dad and my sisters, my older sister and my younger sister, we are all unified. Nothing nothing can change that. So it is with the family of God. This is true of God's family. Despite us being scattered across many buildings right now, not many churches, but many buildings right now, despite the fact that we all go to different places, despite the through the week, we work in different places, we, we play in different places, we learn in different places, we're still one. Even in spite of our conflict and division that has been painful and heart-wrenching, we're still unified. Even though our questionable attempts at protecting our version of unity and faith, and how bad that's gone, we are still unified. We are family. Even though we fall for the world's version of identity, desiring us that that we want to be with other Christians who think like us and act like us us and value what we value, and that's why we're at Gateway Redlands, because we're predominantly similar. So we think. The reality is we are unified with every other Christian across the globe, across history, because God only has one family. Here's what John Stott says. I need to, I need to get cracking here. This is an area of passion, but if I, keep, if I keep going at this pace, we're never going to get to the end. And I didn't like the awkward silence that I just heard then because you're like, yes, please keep moving. All right. John Stott says, We must assert that there can be only one Christian family, only one Christian faith, hope, and baptism, and only one Christian body, because there is only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can no more multiply churches than you can multiply gods. Is there only one God? Then he has only one church. (laughs) Is the unity of God inviolable? Then so is the unity of the church. The unity of the church is as indestructible as the unity of God himself. It is no more possible to split the church than it is possible to split the Godhead. I used to think that the unity of the church, the oneness of the body, the family was expressed in one local setting. Here we are, we are the family of God. I'm not sure about all those other people that are worshiping in other places, but here we are. We've got it figured out. Here we are as one. But what if that's not the case? What if the body is expressed as Gateway Redlands in the city of Redlands, or in let's just go Victoria Point? You are a leg. Elevation Church up the road. You are an arm. The church that meets at Redland Bay State School. You're a, you're, a, you're a, what body parts have I got left? You're a back. What if, what if that's the expression? What if it's not all here, that we've got it all figured out here, but we are one part, one way of expressing the body of Christ here, and all the other churches in our immediate area, we're meant to share a body with, and we're meant to work together. And we're meant to put aside our differences and work together for the sake of the kingdom in this city. Here's a question for you. Who are the members of the body in your street. Who lives in your street who is a believer but goes to a different church on Sunday so therefore you've thought, well, they're not in my church. Yes, they are. There's only one church. Who do you work alongside or who do you study alongside in your school, in your university? Who do you go to work with? Who do you play with? How can you express the oneness of the body with them in that, those contexts, not on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Friday night or whatever, but in that context, how can you express your oneness with them that the world may look on and see that you belong to Jesus? God only has one church. But Him having one church does not mean that we're all the same. In fact, the beauty of the church is shown not in its uniformity, but it's in its diversity. The beauty of the unity of the church is shown in its diversity. Let's keep reading. Verse 7 but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Let me just pause there for a second give a quick explanation of this. This, this passage it's actually a quote from Psalm 68 it's like the victory of a king in battle. So Psalm 68 is a cry for God to deliver his people from their enemies and, this, and, and he's envisioning the writer of the psalm is envisioning this happening maybe not realizing that he was actually looking to a time when Jesus would ascend to victory after his own death, not through a militant or a military campaign where he destroyed all his enemies by the sword, but through submission, through giving his life, he would ascend to glory. And from there, not receive gifts, because you're gonna read Psalm 68, it says he received gifts from people. Now God's not like that, he doesn't need to receive. What could we give God? God gives gifts to his people in his victory and after his ascension to heaven. He, the Rescuer, the, our Saviour, our Lord, give, gi- gives gifts to his church that his church might be established and might grow and might sustain and might bless the cities in which they're placed. And then there's the next bit in uh, brackets. Or if you I can't really say the word, p- parenthesis, is that right? If you're more sophisticated, I just say brackets. The next bit in brackets, verse 9 and 10. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What is going on here? There's a temptation for me just to skip over this and say, let's not worry about it. Let me say really quickly, what I think Paul is doing in verses 9 and 10 is a very abridged version of what he does in his letter to the Philippians, very poetically and beautifully in Philippians 2 verses 6 to 11. So if you want to understand what Paul's doing here, um, commenting on the incarnation, the divinity of Jesus, becoming a man, descending to earth, not as, not as a ghost or a spirit, but as a person, as a human being, born as a baby, all that sort of stuff. He, he, you know, he, he lowered himself, he humbled himself and came to what Philippians says, and he gave his life on a cross. Therefore, therefore he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He's a name above every name. That's what it says in Philippians. That, that's what's going on here. So if you want to understand what Paul's saying there, go and read Philippians 2 verses 6 to 11 you get a far more expanded poetic version of that but let's move on in this passage here verse 11 so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God So, into this unified family, into this family that is one, Jesus gives unique gifts to each of us. And there is a diversity of those gifts. One, but different. United, but diverse. That's the beauty of the church. What, what just as, as a thought that comes into my mind right now as I think about what Paul has written, a big chunk that we skipped over in this series is where, is where Paul starts talking about the mystery of the gospel. Are there any mystery fans here? Like watching, you know, British mystery. No one wants to admit it, do they? There's a few people up the back. Yeah, I've tried, but I just can't do it. But anyway, a good mystery, there's a build-up, and you're like surprised at the end of it. We've lost that. When Paul says the mystery of the gospel, we like go, oh, tell us, oh, is that it? Because we're so familiar with it. But the mystery of the gospel was simply this. Gentiles are in. Non-Jews are in. Hey, that's good news for us. Are there any Jewish people here? Any people with a memorable, rich Jewish history in the room? There's at least one, but the rest of us, we're Gentiles. Gentiles is a, is a broad term for everybody who's not a Jew. The mystery of the gospel is the Savior who came from the Jews is here for everybody. Everybody, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's really important in the heart of God that there is diversity in the church in all ways. And Paul's been writing about that. In, in, in chapter 2 and into 3, he's going, here's the mystery. Here's the mystery, Jews and Gentiles. This church that Jesus loves is unified, but it's diverse. There's so much in this passage that I just read, and so much has been written about this passage, reams and reams of paper, books, articles, podcasts, all this sort of stuff about this passage that I read. Uh, We're not going to go into it all other than to say this diversity is really important to the heart of God. The roles that are actually listed, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, pastors, shepherds, evangelists, can't forget the evangelists. That they exist to help equip the saints, to equip the church for works of service. One body, many parts. You know, there's in, in, in sporting language and team sporting language, they talk about often the difference between a team of champions versus the champion team. I think about the state of origin success over eight years, uh, eight, eight, uh, what do you call them, series wins in a row because what I think they built wasn't a team of champions but a champion team. And in a champion team, the difference is, if you've got a team of champions, the champion or everyone wants to be the champion. Everyone wants to take the game by the scruff of the neck themselves and do their bit to drag the others across the line. That is not sustainable. That doesn't work long term. You don't get dynasties in my game, AFL, of teams winning back to back to back with a team of champions. You get it with champion teams. And when they talk about champion teams, one of the things that you'll hear the players say to the media all the time, I just went out and played my role. So the best on-ground player that gets interviewed afterwards. i tell us, you know, I just played my role. I just played my role. They understand their role in the context of the team. They play it well. They do it to the best of their ability. And if everyone does that, the team wins. I think it's the same in the church. And the immediate question is, do you know your role? Do you know the gift that that God has given you, the gift that Jesus has given you in his grace that he wants you to use to build the rest of us up? If you don't, Start praying that he would tell you and show you. I just go out there and I play my role. That's the invitation to you today. And as, the, as, we, as, we, as we pause and remember again that the unity that is true of us, remember that it transcends our local experience. I, I just, again, thought that's coming to mind, I better stop these thoughts that are coming to my mind because the sermon will get longer and longer. Grant, Grant Paulson, who's playing guitar this morning, he serves the church beyond the walls of Gateway Redlands. He knows his role and he, and he serves. and, and that, what that means for us is that he's often not here on a Sunday. And he's often not here on a Sunday because he's serving the church. He knows his role. and we go, "Praise God, he's serving the kingdom. I'd love to see him here every Sunday. I'd love to see him doing more for us. But that wouldn't be honoring his role. Know your role. Go out there and play it. and do it for the church, not just for Gateway Redlands. Do it for Gateway Redlands. But do it also for the church, with the big C. Now, the other thought that I have, as I that I have prepared to say, <laughs> as I think about this, is how I think about the range of reasons why people say they're leaving the church. They're leaving the church that I, they come and see me, or they don't, and I find out later here's why I've left, and it's, having been a pastor for 15 years, you get a whole range of excuses. Actually, that's not true. You don't get a whole range of excuses. You usually get the same general three or four excuses. Preaching wasn't great. Programs didn't suit my stage of life. Worship was dry. But here's, here's the most common. I never really felt cared for. I never really felt cared for. Now, don't hear me wrong. Even Maybe my tone betrays me a bit here, but these are valid concerns. You know, you, you think about it. Preaching should be good. Preaching should be Bible-based. It should be gospel-centered, all that sort of stuff. The program should be um, uh, coming from a heart of wanting to serve the people of the church and the community, no matter what your stage of life. Worship should be passionate, and, and people should be cared for in the church, no, no doubt. I don't want to um, bemoan these as bad excuses, but, 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 Reading this, you know what I've never heard in my short time? I'm leaving because I didn't feel equipped for works of service. No one's ever said to me, I'm leaving the church because I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I've learned my role and I don't feel like I'm playing my role. I've never heard that in my life. And yet when you read this, when you read what Paul's saying about the church, that probably should be the number one reason why you'd move on. If you don't feel equipped to serve the church and to serve the big C church and to serve the community, yet yeah, maybe find another church where you do feel equipped because that's what the leadership of the church is there for. These apostles, prophets, pastors, shepherds, evangelists, teachers, all that, they're all there for helping you to be equipped for works of service. That's what the church should be doing and that's what all of us should be contributing to. As we find our gift, as we find our role, it's there to help others be equipped for works of service. So where does it land for you? Where do we land this passage for you? There's so much more we could have gone over here, and I'm aware that there's a lot I haven't covered. But go and read a commentary, go read a book about it. I can direct you to some books if you want to know more about what's going on in this passage. But let's land it for, for us this morning, you have a unique role in this family. You do. It's in the Bible. It's true. If you're in Christ, if you have put your trust in him and he is your hope, he is the object of your faith, he is your baptism. Maybe there's a word there for some about getting baptized, by the way. But if that's, if that's Jesus for you and you have found your place here in this expression of the body of Christ as in Gateway Redlands, Jesus has given you a unique gift that he's given you so that you can use it to serve others, to see them equipped for works of service and to see all of us grow to maturity in Christ as we speak truth in love to each other. So hear the challenge that I'm giving you this morning in love. You have a unique gift. You have a unique role to serve others in this church. It's important, and I go back to my football illustration before, everyone knows their unique role on a football field, on a, in a good football team, but there are actually some really basic essential skills that every player needs in order to get on that football field in the first place. You need to be able to kick, you need to be able to handball, you need to be able to tackle, you need to be able to bounce the ball on the run. You need to be able to kick... Go- there's a whole bunch of essential skills. If you don't have those essential skills worked out, there's no point even thinking about your unique role because you haven't mastered the basics or the essentials. Some of them aren't basic, just essential. There's a, verse, there's a couple of verses that I've left out so far as I've worked through this passage, this chapter, that I want to go back to to help us on, the, on this platform to understand our unique role on the platform of the essentials of Christian faith, on the essentials of what it means to be in this family. This is what it looks like for us to be in this family, how we're meant to interact with each other before we think about our unique role. Let's go back to verses two and three. Here's what Paul says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's five characteristics here, and and I reckon there's two sets of pairs, and then one big one at the end that kind of covers them all, of people who call God Father, who call Jesus Lord, and who are made one family by the Spirit. The first pair is humble and gentle. Let me just give you English definitions definitions of these English words. Humble and gentle. Humility, Is the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. Who needs to be more humble? Come on. (laughs) Every hand should be, like, when 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 I'm in a position like this, where I'm speaking and none of you are talking, you're all listening to me, I need to be humble. I need to have a low view of my own importance right here. I'm just one, Hopefully exercising my gifts, my core, my unique gifts, to serve you, to, ha- to see you equipped for works of service. We need to have a humble, modest, low view of our own importance. Gentle. Having or showing a mild, kind, or tender temperament or character. You know, sometimes I and we make excuses for our lack of gentleness, saying that's just who I am. I've always had a short temper. I'm probably not going to change. No, no, no. Let the Spirit work in you to make you more gentle, mild, kind, tender temperament. Because the counter, the worldly value is, no, no, you state your case, you declare your identity, and you do it loudly and proudly. You tell the world what you need, and then you work your backside off to extract it from the world. We shouldn't (laughs) approach the church like that. Humble and gentle. The next pair is patient and forbearing, or bearing with one another in love patience the capacity to accept or tolerate delay problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious when I'm behind the wheel of my car I struggle with this but truth be told there are other places where I need to be far more patient but how quickly do we become annoyed and anxious in our dealings with other people in the family of God Bearing. The word bearing means forbearing is not a word that's common these days, but bearing is the ability to tolerate something bad or to be tolerated. The counter, the world says, don't suffer fools. Don't let people drain you. Be be around those who can help you reach your dreams and goals and cancel anyone with different views or values. Breaks the heart of God when we do that in the church. When When we just brush past someone because we can't be bothered. Because we know that if we get in a conversation with them, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, it's risky for me to say this up here because you're all hearing this, of avoiding people because I don't want to bear them. We can all suffer with this. We don't like dealing with difficult people. How draining it can be, and I'm not thinking of anyone here, of course. To offer counsel, to sit down and look someone in the eye who is a difficult person and have a genuine conversation with them and pray with them. We don't, we don't want to do that. We want to move to people who we feel filled by. But we're the church that belongs to God. Don't you know? <laughs> Here's a reality check. Before a holy and righteous God, you are a difficult person. And yet he gives you all the time in the world. And then loving. And I do want to talk about the Greek word here. Agape. Agape. Agape means of a person's mouth wide open in surprise or wonder. Any Greek scholars here who are having a little giggle right now? Agape anyway. is not the word, it's agape. But agape is an appropriate response when we think about the agape love of God, that our mouth would be open in surprise and wonder that God would love us like this. Because agape, this is the word that Paul uses here, this is the love of God towards his people. It's an active love, not just an emotional love. It's a love that moves God to action. And and John Stott says, this agape love is the crown and sum of all virtues. Patience, forbearing, humility, and gentleness are all wrapped up in love. Love, and it's it's, it's agape love. Another commentator, he says of this agape, this love does not have its origin in human motivation. It is a choice made because of the love of God. This was a rare word. Agape was not a word that was common in Greek back then. The Christians took it, and they injected it with this meaning. First, love from God, then also love for God and for other people because of God. This is the love experienced in Christ that must be extended to others. The agape love of God. This is the value and action that should shape the church, that should most shape the church, because this is what Jesus said about his church. He said, The way you love each other will show the world that you belong to me. How are we doing? How are we doing at this? If the world looked in and, and they saw all over the news and all over the world division and violence and war and hate and all the stuff that's going on in our world, you don't have to look far, it's all there. And all these attempts to try and bring unity are failing. Like they tried to bring unity by making uh, people wear these jerseys with rainbow colors on it and didn't that work well? That was an attempt at inclusion, that was an attempt at unity. Boom! Any attempt to unify people in love will fail unless it's Jesus doing it. By this, the world who is divided and violent and aggressive and hate-filled and exclusive and finding any reasons to write other people off, that world will look in the church and go, how do they do it? How are we doing? How are we doing at the very thing that Jesus said would be the marker? Truth be told, I think we're doing pretty well. We could do better. We could do better. And it's up to us to be more humble, to be more gentle, to be more patient, to be more forbearing, and to love, active love, not waiting for a feeling, not waiting for an emotion, but despite of maybe everything inside of you that doesn't want to, going and serving others and even serving your enemies. We are family. This family extends beyond our local expression. This family is unified but diverse. And this family is growing in its character to become more and more like Jesus. And this is what Jesus prayed for. In John 17, we get this glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus. And if you love him, that's a glimpse you should understand. That's a glimpse you should want to see. And I picture him in desperation and in passion, praying, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. And he's talking about us. He's talking about the people who would come to believe in him through the message of his disciples. That is us, Gateway Redlands. He's praying for you and for me that we would be one, get this, like he and his Father are one. That's pretty one. In his heart, his deepest passion is that we would love each other to the degree that we would be one. That is extraordinary unity, and that is unity that we should strive towards keeping and maintaining and doing everything we can through our unique gifts and through growing in character to maintain. Let me, let me land this. First of all, you may be here today, which you are. <laughs> But you're aware as I'm talking about this family of God that you're, you're actually not yet in the family. Like that, that one faith, that one baptism, that, that one hope in Jesus has not been yours before today. And you're aware right now, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm standing outside of this family. Whether it be by choice or just you came here today and you're thinking, oh, here we go, church again, or you're checking out church for the first time. You're aware right now that you are not in the family. What a great day. What a great day to join the family. What a great day to know the welcome of the Father, to know the joy of Jesus in welcoming you in, Him inviting you in. What a great day to be filled with the Spirit that you would become one with us. And if it's you, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Let's just all of us just bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm not gonna get you to do anything else. I'm only asking you to bow your head and close your eyes to focus. I'm not gonna get you to raise your hand. I'm just gonna get you to pray in your heart after me. Thank you, Jesus, for creating space at your table for me. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. I've been asking this question, who am I and where do I belong? But I'm aware that the answers that I've so far found have never truly satisfied Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your forgiveness offered to me through your death and resurrection. Thank you that you now welcome me into your family. Amen. Does that seem a little bit simple? Hey, I've got news for you. That's why it's good news. You don't just scrub yourself up. You need to present yourself in a certain way. Remember, you were this way and God came after you. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, God just threw His arms around you. He loves you. He forgives you. All of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of the damage that you've done to others and the damage that's been done to you is covered by the grace and love of Jesus. He just welcomed you into His family for others of us who know we're in the family. But we need to grow in these five characteristics towards maturity and unity. We need to grow in humility. We need to grow in gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I reckon for all of us, none of us would give ourselves 10 out of 10 for any of those, which means there's always room to grow, and that's true. But I would love to give us a moment, just as Ben plays, a moment of 30 seconds silence where we genuinely come before the Holy Spirit. And he may have already started doing this as I went through those five characteristics. But allow him to prod us a little bit. Allow the Holy Spirit to, just permission to give us that little painful prod to go, you know, you need to be more patient with your kids. You know, you need a little bit, a bit more humility in your marriage. You know that you need to be a little bit more gentle with the team that you lead in your workplace. But here's just 30 seconds to be silent and still and invite him who dwells in us, who animates us, who unites us to, rev- to speak and to reveal the truth in love. So Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, speak to us now. Prod us. I reckon there's a whole lot of us this morning, right now, in this moment, who need to hear our unique call. It might be a confirmation, but it might be a revelation. Maybe it's a confirmation of something you used to do in, in the past in another church environment, that God's still given you that gift, but you haven't found your place to exercise it in here yet, either through lack of energy, no desire. Maybe you got burned in the past and you don't want to go there again. But I've said this before and I'll say it again and I'll keep saying it. We are not the church that we could potentially be if you don't discover your unique call and play your role here. We've got some great staff members. I'm gesturing to Ben and Jess there. Already. We've got some great staff members. But it's not all up to the staff. We are here to help you, to equip you for works of service. We we didn't take a deep dive into it this morning, but there, there are plenty of people here, I think, who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but you've actually thought, no, that's not me because I'm not a pastor. I don't have a title. That could be the gift God has given you. And it doesn't mean that you leave your job and go to Bible college and become a pastor but that you start exercising the gift that God has given you. And there's two ways that I want to particularly invite people who may be feeling like, and we'll have another moment, similar to what we just had, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. But two places to serve that I hope Jesus might be tapping some people on the shoulder about right now, particularly for those who feel that one of those five areas, that that's something the Holy Spirit is prodding you to understand more about. And there's two ways that I think you can express that as a role here at Gateway Redlands. The first one is as a life group leader, a life group leader, not just joining a life group, but actually hosting and leading a life group. I am so thankful. It's been one of the fastest growing ministries in the last six to 12 months. Thanks a lot to Kathy Gill- Gillum for her work in leading this and tapping you on the shoulder as God tapped you on the shoulder, but our growth in life groups has been like six, 700% in the last six months. And if you lead a life group, thank you. And I pray you've been encouraged by this message today to keep doing it. But we need more. We need more. And some of you need a tap on the shoulder by the Holy Spirit to say, this is you. This is you. I have gifted you for this role. I've given you the gift of hospitality. I've given you the gift of teaching or of pastoring and caring for people. I've given you a set of gifts that all direct to being a life group leader. We cannot be the people of God if all we do is come here on a Sunday. The best way to grow in maturity is to get together with a smaller group of people where you can have authentic relationships around the Word of God, around food, through praying for each other and have that experience together. That's the best way that you can grow towards maturity as you speak the truth in love to one another. And some of you, God is calling you to lead a life group like that. The other area that I'd love to make you aware of is joining our prayer team. Prayer is the engine room of any church. As we pray, we are declaring our dependence on God, we're declaring our humility before Him and we're begging Him and pleading with Him and passionately asking Him to move, that we would become a church like that which Paul just described. We pray for unity. We pray that we'd grow in maturity. We, we pray that the truth would be expressed in love. We pray for all these things. And we meet every Monday night from seven till eight o'clock, It's just an hour a week, we meet together to pray together. And, and there are some, it's not for everybody, but there are some here today who God might be tapping on the shoulder say, you need to commit to joining that prayer team because I've called you and gifted you to pray, to intercede for others. So we pray every Monday night, seven till eight. But we also make a prayer team available at the front after the service. And we're down to two people, Robin, Robin, Jen, McKenzie, who are uh, choking up brilliant people. who love you. But there are more to pray. There are more to do that ministry of prayer for people to ask God to move in their lives. And God might be tapping you on the shoulder to join Either one or both of those teams, both would be great. It'd be great to have the team that's out here on Sunday be also the team that meets together on Monday night. It's not for everybody, but it might be for you. Again, let's just have 20 seconds. Just be open for a minute. Just be open. Don't, don't be resistant to the Spirit. Just be open to say, God, if it's me, show me now. 20 seconds. Just pray that in your own silence, in your own heart, God, if one of those people is me, if I'm meant to be leading a life group, if I'm meant to be joining the prayer team, prod me now. Be opened before Him now. Anyway, Redlands, we are family. That's who we are. We are loved, we are chosen, we are saved, and we are family as a people of God who share one hope, one faith, one baptism, as a people that are loved and served by one Lord together, as Jesus and as a family under one Father, our Heavenly Father, God, let's express our gratitude and love towards God. Let's jump to our feet. Let's sing a song that doesn't have I and me and my in it, but has our, our God. Together, let's express our gratitude to our great God who loves us more than we deserve, who has saved us, who has chosen us, who loves us, who has put us in a family. Let's sing together how great...